I'm Vanessa Pritchard. Welcome to this podcast from Keep Believing Ministries. Today's message was given by Dr. Ray Pritchard. At Keep Believing Ministries, we want to encourage and equip people to keep believing in Jesus. You can find us online at www.keepbelieving.com. Stay tuned for this special podcast. So I'm this week in a series that the Lord laid on my heart on the promises of God. The promises of God. Remember I told you, there's that fellow up in Canada who counted them one by one by one. And he says there's 7,487 promises from God to us in the Bible. I can't argue with that because I'm never going to take two years to count them all. I'm going with that number. So what we're doing is in each one of these messages, we're just looking at some of the great encouraging hopeful promises of God and thinking about what Don was talking about the coronavirus and the stock market and uh, just general uncertainty in the world today oh how we need the promises of God to know them to believe them to stand on the promises of God I I told you at the end of the message yesterday and I I just want to mention it to you again Christians ought to be the calmest people on earth we had to be the calmest people on earth because we know the lord and he holds the future in his hands it's quite clear no human nobody on planet earth can say with certainty what's going to happen tomorrow or the day after tomorrow or the day after that but our lord knows our lord knows he holds all things in his hands so we ought to get in touch with the promises of god it's good for us strengthen our faith. So the series is called Big Promises. God says, you are, you have, you can, you will. First message, you are forgiven. God's answer to guilt. Second message, you are not alone. God's answer to fear. Message number three this morning, you have a way out. You have a way out. God's answer to temptation. The great verse, of course, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, which we will get to in just a moment. When our Lord Jesus taught the disciples to pray, he said, pray this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Then lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, or the new translations usually say, deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the power, yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, and yours is the glory forever and ever and ever. Amen. What in the world did Jesus mean when he said we were to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil? He meant at least this much, more than this, but at least this much. He meant that we live in a world where temptation will be our constant companion. If you want to be in a place where you're finally free from all temptation, what you're really saying is you can't wait to go to heaven. Because between now and the moment we go to heaven, between now and that moment, We will face temptation every day. 
And I dare to say every hour of every day. So I begin with two quotes, one from Oscar Wilde, a man who should know. He said, I can resist everything except temptation. (laughs) We all understand. And then C.S. Lewis, who said, no man knows how bad he is until he has tried to be good. Ooh, ooh. No man knows how bad he is until he has tried to be good. So we can say here at the beginning, temptation is not new. Eve was deceived. Adam was not. They both ate the forbidden fruit. Abraham lied about Sarah. Sarah lied to God. Lot compromised. Jacob cheated. Moses murdered. David committed adultery and murder. Elijah complained to God. Jonah ran from God. Peter denied Christ. The best men, the best women in the Bible struggled with temptation and often fell because of it. May we say it this way. Temptation in itself is not a sin. It is not a sin in and of itself to be tempted. How do we know that? Because Hebrews 4.15 tells us that our Lord Jesus was tempted in all points, just as we are, yet he was without sin. So that's good news. We all face temptation all the time in a thousand different ways, but it is not a sin in itself to be tempted. It's how you respond that makes all the difference. So then, coming to that great passage, this great verse, one of the greatest verses in the Bible, and I think maybe the premier verse on the subject of temptation, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has seized you, overtaken you, has the idea of a runner, and something, he's going down the, he's going down the path, and suddenly he's overtaken. Something grabs him from behind. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. But God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will make, now the old version says, a way of escape, right? He will make a way of escape. He will provide a way out so that you may Bear it, or said another way, so that in the moment of temptation, you won't have to give in, but you will be able to stand up against it, stand up under it. Note three truths from this verse. Number one, temptation is the common experience of all Christians. If you say, I'll be glad when I'm not tempted, you're really saying, I'll be glad when I'm dead, because you'll be tempted as long as you live. Temptation changes shape across the years. What troubles you when you're a teenager may not be exactly what tempts you when you're 35. What tempts you then may not be what tempts you when you're 50 or 60 or 70. Temptation does change shapes across the years, but it never goes away completely. That's number one. It is the common experience of all Christians. Number two, God will not allow you to be put into a situation where you have to give in to sin. He will never, 
He will never, ever put you in a place where your only moral choice is, I must sin. Don't ever say, the Lord forced me into sin. He does not tempt anyone to sin. So that can't happen. Third, God's way out does not necessarily remove you from temptation, but it puts you in a position to endure it with grace. In fact, my observation, actually, actually, I probably should say it this way. As I look at the man in the mirror, and I study the man in the mirror, and so many times I look at the man in the mirror, and I say, what is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? You ought to be better than that. You ought to be smarter than that. You should be further along than that. So many times I look at the man. I don't have to point fingers at anybody. I just look at that guy in the mirror. I just go, what is wrong with you? It does seem to me, my walk with God, when I pray in the moment of temptation, it is not often that the temptation is removed from me. What God does is gives me strength in that moment so that I don't have to lose my temper, so that I don't have to say something stupid, so that I don't go blurting something out I've got to apologize for later. God's way out doesn't necessarily remove you from temptation, but it puts you in a position to endure it with grace. Sometimes we're going to be tempted over and over and over again. Each time, God promises to give us what we need to resist sin successfully. So, in case you've not gotten it clearly, let me say it again. No one ever has to sin. No one does. You are never, ever going to be put in a position by God where you must sin. Now, we do sin, but we should never say, Lord, you made me do it. That's not the way it works. Warren Wearsby commented that the Christian life is not a playground. It's a battleground. And some of us this morning, sitting here on a Tuesday morning, we clean up good. We look nice. But oh, the battle that rages within. If we knew everything about each other, We would understand that this morning we are soldiers on the battlefield. Now, shortly after 9-11, we learned about a concept called asymmetric warfare. It's what happens when 17 or 18 or 19 terrorists hijack some airplanes and fly one into the World Trade Center, one into the Pentagon, and one goes down in a field in Pennsylvania, killing thousands of people. Asymmetric means there's a small force here, but the result of what they do is overwhelming. Let me tell you, that's how Satan works. He's a master at asymmetric warfare. He knows how to put a little pebble in the road. He knows how to put a little tiny log. He knows how to get us off just one step off the path. And the devil knows if he can get us one step off the path, he can get us two. If he can get us two, he can get us three. If he can get us three, he can get us four. If he can get us four, he can get us five. That, my friends, is asymmetric warfare. It is not true that the devil 
hits us hard right up front. You know what he's more likely to do? Hits us here, hits us here, hits us here, hits us here. We die death of a thousand paper cuts because we have been hit so many different ways by the devil. We don't know how to respond. Well, shortly after 9-11, a certain word came into the English vocabulary. George W. Bush, President Bush, gave it to us. The uh, the folks in the, the military at the Pentagon gave it to us. Remember, remember, President Bush said, we either fight them over there or we're going to have to fight them over here. Remember that? Fight them over there or we're going to have to fight them over here. From that comes the concept, watch this, of forward-leaning defense. Forward. Leaning defense. My friends, that is a hugely important principle for the spiritual life. Why? Because Peter tells us, 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He's hungry and you are on the menu. Satan doesn't fight Fair. He uses anything and everything to discourage us, to confuse us, to cause us to give in. So for the rest of my message, I simply want to talk to you about forward-leaning defense, the strategies that will help us lean forward into our battle against temptation. And I want to give you five suggestions that will help us. Number one, if we are going to fight and win the battle with temptation, we must adopt a warfare mentality. That's number one. Adopt a warfare mentality. What does the Bible say? For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up what? The whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. That's Ephesians chapter 6, 10, 11, and 12. We are not wrestling against other people. Your problem is not your spouse. Your problem is not your kids. Your problem is not your grandkids. Your problem is not your neighbors. Your problem is not those cantankerous people at church. Your problem is not those people who don't like you. Those are not your problem. Your problem is We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against the spiritual powers of darkness that are arrayed against us. Colossians chapter 4 verse 2 says, Be alert in prayer. Be alert in prayer. That that term there for be alert, you know what it means? Stay awake. Stay awake. So imagine two things. Imagine, uh, Imagine over here. There's a Marine standing guard at the wire overnight. His buddies are sound asleep. And out there in the darkness, out there in the darkness are the terrorists who are intent on killing him and killing his buddies. And that Marine who stands guard at the wire in Afghanistan. He knows one thing. He knows he has to stay sharp. He has to keep his eye open. He has to be alert because 
His other Marines, they are depending upon him. They are sleeping and he is staying awake so he can keep them alive. And so he lets nothing bother him. He lets nothing deter him. Whatever it takes, he stays awake because he knows he's the thing that stands between the terrorist and his buddies. That's one picture. Over here is some guy in a car. He's a mall cop. He's got a gun. He's got a holster. He drives around in his car. He's got his coffee and he's got his donuts. And he looks like he needs to work out a little bit, okay? He's not worried about much of anything because not very much is going to happen today or tomorrow or ever. You know what our problem is in the spiritual life? We act like we are mall cops. We act like we are guarding Walmart when in reality we are supposed to be like the Marine walking the wire at night knowing it's a matter of life and death. That's what I mean. That's what I'm saying, that we've got to adopt a warfare mentality. That's number one. Number two, you've got to get on the right team. There was a, a preacher, I used to watch him on TV, long gone now, but he used to, he had a, he had a little saying. It's kind of stuck in my mind. He'd repeat it often. If you're going to be a Christian, he'd look right in the camera and go, if you're going to be a Christian, be one. That's really good. If you're going to be a Christian, be one. Act like it. Talk like it. Dress like it. Walk like it. Live like it. If you're going to be a Christian, be one. You see, in times like these, we all need to decide which team we're on. If you're on the world's team, put on their jersey. If you're on team Jesus, put on his jersey. What did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 10, verse 32? Therefore, everyone who will acknowledge me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. Some years ago on American Family Radio, we were doing an interview with Canon Andrew White, who that time was the vicar of the, of the largest Protestant church in Baghdad in Iraq. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people came to his church. We asked him, that was when ISIS was taking over the Middle East, where they had gone into so many villages in northern Iraq, and they had found the Christians and either forced them out or put them to death right there. We asked him, how bad is it? He said, whatever you think you've heard in the West, it is much, much worse in the Middle East. And in an interview that came out about that time, he told the story of a certain village, a small place in northern Iraq, where there were four Christian children under the age of 15. And he said, ISIS turned up one day and found those four Christian children. And they said to them, you say the words. You know, there's a sentence that you can say in Islam. It's the sentence that if you say it, it's supposed to make you convert to Islam. They said, you say the words that you will follow Muhammad. Ken and Andrew White said the children, all under 15, all of them, they said, no, we love Yeshua, Jesus. We have always loved Yeshua. We've always followed Yeshua. Yeshua has always been with us. Isis said, say the words. They said, no, we can't. They chopped all their heads off.
said Canon White. And he commented, how do you respond to that? You just cry. This is the world in which we are living. And if indeed we are living in the last days, as I believe that we are, the last days heading up to the return of the Lord Jesus, what we're going to see here in these last days, watch this. We're going to see what Jesus talked about in the parable of the wheat and tares. He said, don't, don't pull up the tares or else you might pull up the wheat because just wait, just wait because eventually you'll be able to tell near the time of the harvest the wheat will be obvious and the tares will be obvious and in the time of the harvest the angels are going to come and they're going to take the tares and they're going to be burned up but the wheat will be gathered into the barn what that means is as we rush headlong toward the return of christ as the world gets darker and darker and darker the darker the night the brighter the light will shine and i am convinced that what is happening in the world today is the preparation leading up to the coming of jesus and those who've been trying on the world's clothes are going to either have to go for the world or they're going to have to get back on team jesus as we head toward the last days there's going to be no place to sit in the middle there's going to be no fence to straddle make sure make sure that in what you say and in what you do and in your personal habits and in your personal life that you are on the right team make sure of that number three how shall we practice forward-leaning defense? And I've said, number one, you need to adopt the warfare mentality. Number two, you need to get on the right team. Here's number three. May I suggest this to you? You need to memorize the Word of God. That's been something from the very early days of Word of Life. Those little memory packs, you know, the little take to memorize John 3.16 and 1 John 5.13. And uh, all the other, and this one, of course, is on those in those memory packs. First Corinthians ten thirteen. Memorize the word of God. It's more important now than it's ever been. More important than it's ever been for God's people. Not just to watch this. It's more important than ever. Not just that we get into the word. Watch this, but that the word gets in to us. What does the Bible say? Your word have I hidden in my heart that i might not sin against you not just that i have learned it not just that i know it not just that i can recite it but your word has become hidden in my heart and your word protects me in the time of evil the time of temptation so let me tell you a story it's during the days when marlene and i were at the church in chicago this would be now i guess i'm just guessing about 20 years ago now a young man in the church single early 20s had just started coming to our church i i i knew him but we had a large church and we 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 had a whole lot of young people coming to the church so when i say i knew him what i mean is i had heard his name and i saw him out there in the congregation but i didn't you know i didn't know him personally and one day he made an appointment to come see me pastor of the church and he walked in, very pleasant young man, very fine-looking fella. And he came in and told me his story. He was raised in a Christian home, raised in a Christian family, and had gone off to college and had earned his degree. And now he was teaching in the school system, the public school system, and trying to do all he could for the Lord as a teacher in the public school system. And the, and the dream of his heart was that someday God would give him 
a Christian girl to date and marry, and they could build a Christian home together. Now, like I say, I didn't know. I didn't know any of this before he came in to see me. And I said, okay. I said, so what's the problem? He said what young men often say. He said, I am struggling with my thought life. He said, I I have faced so many temptations up here, so many thoughts and so many ideas and so many thoughts of, uh, you know, we live in a sexualized world. Oh, how hard it is for, for young men and for young women to walk in purity before the Lord. And this young fellow was really struggling with that. He was trying to live for the Lord during the day, but just, just doing what he could. But, but the struggles were so great. And, and, he, and, and he was falling too many times. And he said to me, he said, Pastor, I don't believe any Christian girl, whatever, if she knew me, would ever want to date me, would ever want to marry me. What can I do? And, and I got to tell you this. Every once in a while as a pastor, somebody will come to you that you don't know. And they are so earnest that uh, they are so sincere that it almost takes your breath away. And that was what this young man was. He was so earnest and he was so sincere. He didn't seem flighty to me at all. He just, he seemed like a young man with a heavy burden and wanted to find a way to get free. And uh, he said, Pastor, what, what can I do? And so I asked him a question. I said, let me, I want to know something. Will you do whatever I ask you to do? And I said that before I told him anything else. Will you do whatever I ask you to do? And he said, absolutely. I said, no questions asked. He said, no questions asked. And a lot of times when people say that, they don't really mean it. He was that rare young man who really meant it. And I said, i tell you what I want you to do. I want you to start memorizing God's word. He said, I'll be glad to do that. I'll be glad to do that. He said, what do you want me to start to memorize? And, And okay, what I'm about to tell you that I said to him, I have never said to anybody else in 45 years and never said this to anybody else. But I sometimes just have the feeling, might as well jump into the deep end. I said, here's what I want you to do. Are you serious? He said, I'm serious. Well, you'll do anything? I Yes. I said, I want you to memorize Psalm 119. In case you don't know, that is the longest chapter in the Bible, right? The longest chapter in the whole Bible. Got 176 verses in it. And besides that, it, it also, it's all about the Word of God. It's all about the Bible. It uses all these different phrases. The Word, the Law, the Testimonies, the Ordinances, the Regulations, the Commands of God. So as you're going through it, it's really easy to get one verse mixed up with another. So you've got to be super committed if you're going to try to memorize Psalm 119. But I just thought, I, I don't know this guy. We'll find out if he's serious or not. He said, Pastor, I'll do it. I'll get after it. I said, here's what I want you to do. Every Sunday from now on, I want you to come up to me between services on Sunday morning. Just tell me how you're doing. I said, if you don't come up and see me, I'll know the truth. You've given up. He said, don't worry, Pastor. I'll do it. So we prayed together, and he left. And honestly, honestly, I thought to myself, I'll never see him again. He's gone. He'll never come back. So following Sunday, he came up to see me. 
He said, I got started. I said, how's it going? He said, it's going great. I'm on verse three or verse four. I said, that's good. That's terrific. Next Sunday, he came up. And I said, how you doing? Big smile on his face. He said, I'm on about verse 15 now. I said, keep going. Now, see, this was about in, what's well, about this time of year? Late February, early March, okay? And throughout March and April and May, every Sunday, Every Sunday, he would come up to me. Only as we went on, he would go, okay, listen, I'm at verse 25. That's a really good verse. And he and, and standing there with people waiting to talk to me, he'd quote a couple of verses of Psalm 119. So we got the verse, maybe uh, by the end of May, I guess, he was up around uh, verse 50, verse 55, something like that. And I thought, well, that's really impressive. But he was going to go away for the summer. And he was going to go work at a Christian camp somewhere. And I wouldn't see him again until September. And I said, are you going to keep on doing it? He said, no way. And he said, no way I'm going to stop now. I'm going to keep on going. But me of little faith, I thought, he'll get there. He'll be working at camp. You know how camp work is. So, you know, he'll get going on all that. And I'll never hear from him again. Come September. He came back. I said, how you doing? He said, I'm on verse 110. I said, how's it going? He said, it's great. He said, let me give you a few verses. So he's quoting, and we're standing in line. He's talking to me after church. And so throughout September, I'm on 120. I'm on 135, 146, 155. We finally got to maybe late October or early November. So for almost 10 months now, he's been working on Psalm 119. He, he finally, one Sunday, came to me and said, Pastor, I got it. I'm done. I said, would you do me a favor? Would you be willing to come to my office this week and recite the whole thing for me? He said, I'd be happy to. So on Wednesday or Thursday of that week, and I cleared out some time on my schedule, he came in to see me. He had a great big smile on his face. And he said, I'm done with it. I said, I've never heard anybody Quote Psalm 119. I'd like you to sit here and let you go. And the only request he made is, he said, do you mind if I stand up and walk around? I said, you do whatever you want. He started with Psalm 119, verse 1. And he went through it word for word, verse for verse. The only time he ever stopped was not for a mistake. The only time he ever stopped was just to go, that's a really good verse. He did that a few. This is a really good verse here. And finally, he got all the way to the end of Psalm 119 with a great big smile on his face. And I said, I've got just one question to ask you. Ten months he'd been working at it. What about that problem you had? He looked at me and said, It's gone. It's gone. It's gone. It's gone. It's gone. Why should that surprise us? The entrance of thy word giveth light. When the word comes in, sin has to go. When the word comes in, iniquity has to go. When the word comes in, compromise has to go. That was 20 years ago. And about a year later, or maybe less, he started showing up at this church, our church, with this really cute girl. And I saw them sitting together. And eventually, they got engaged and they got married. 
And they raised up a family for the glory of God. And I know how they're doing. Because every few months, he writes me a letter, a note to tell me how he's doing with the Lord. My friends, the Word of God is living. It's powerful. It's active. When the Word comes in, all that other stuff has got to go. Got to go. Thy Word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. So number three, if we're going to win the battle, we're going to have to memorize the Word of God. Get it on the inside. Number four, march in tight formation. March in tight formation. It's another military metaphor. You will never defeat the devil on your own, which is why. It's why in the New Testament, have all those one another passages, love one another, pray for one another, encourage one another, build up one another, confess your sins to one another, make music in your hearts together to one another, worship the Lord together, do it all together. Why? Because what does the devil know? He knows Here comes the army of God. If he can get you split away from the army of God, he's got you. He's got you. So, I was talking with a young man who was maybe 19 or 20 years old. He was young looking, real young looking. I I didn't know him very well, and we were talking together. And turns out, he wasn't as young as I thought. He had served in the United States Marine Corps. And in the early days of the fighting in Iraq, he had served with the Marines in the battle for Fallujah, which if you know anything about the battles in Iraq, that was one of the bloodiest battles of the Iraq War. I mean, that was not a desert battle. That was street fighting, house to house and door to door. A lot of good men died in that battle. He was there. We were talking. He told me I couldn't. I couldn't. He just looked so young, but he'd already finished his time in the Marines. And I, I just, we were talking and listening to him. And, and uh, we are talking about the importance of staying together spiritually. He said, you know what? Whenever our, whenever our squad was going to go out on patrol in Fallujah, where they knew the enemy was on every hand. He said, our sergeant always said the same thing before we left. Two is one, one is none. If you're by yourself, you're done. Two is one, one is none. If you're by yourself, you're done. Two is one, one is none. If you're by yourself, you're done. The devil wants to get you separated. The devil wants to get you pulled off to the side. The devil wants to get you away from your friends. Because if he can get you away from your friends and your family and the fellowship of the local church, he's got you dead to rights. And there's not much you can do about it. So we got to march in tight formation. Fifth and finally, with this I'm done, we got to settle in for the long haul. Settle in for the long haul. You know what Satan's number one weapon is? It's not lust. As bad as this flood tide of pornography is in our society, and it is awful and it's killing a lot of people, pornography is not his greatest weapon. Pride and greed, not his greatest weapon. You know what his greatest weapon is? It's simple. It's discouragement. If he can get you discouraged, he can cause you to fall. If he can get you discouraged, he can cause you to give up. 
If he can get you discouraged, he can separate you from the rest of the body of Christ. How are we going to fight against a foe as, as cunning and as devilish as the devil is who hits us here, 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 hits us from all sides at once? Well, remember this. Watch this. He is both, he is both a roaring lion and a defeated foe at the same time. That's what the devil is. He is a roaring lion and a defeated foe. On our own, we cannot beat him. But when we are joined with Jesus, he cannot defeat us. So let me tell you what's going to happen to you and me. There's going to be more battles, more struggles. There's going to be more victories. There's going to be some defeats. We're going to fight on a thousand fronts at once. As I bring this message to a close, let me, let me read you something that I think probably gets to the bottom line as, as well as I can do it. God has ordained that our spiritual progress will be measured not by huge battles won or lost, but by a thousand daily skirmishes no one else knows about. Our progress is not going to be measured by great battles won or lost, but by a thousand daily skirmishes no one else knows about. Two final thoughts and I'm done. Number one, we are at war with an enemy far stronger than we are. He stops at nothing. He lies. He steals. He cheats. He deceives. If we defeat him today, he'll be back again tomorrow morning. In fact, you're probably not going to wait until tomorrow morning. Satan comes to us in a thousand guises, most of them hard to spot, all of them deadly to our soul. If we fight him in our strength, we are guaranteed to lose. If we think we can ignore him, he has already won the battle. That's one thing. We're fighting an enemy far stronger than we are. And number two, we have a Savior who is far stronger than our enemy. He fought and won the battle 2,000 years ago. He is, Jesus is, the undefeated champion. Martin Luther said it well. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear For God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim. We tremble not for him. His rage we can endure. For lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. What is that little word? It's the little word Jesus. Satan is the ultimate loser. Jesus wins in the end, and he wins big. And everyone joined by faith with Jesus wins because he is the captain of our salvation. So I'm saying to you, the forces of evil cannot stand against him. He speaks the word, and they are banished forever. Read it for yourself. Go to the end of the book. Jesus wins, and he wins completely And the devil loses. And all those on the devil's side lose within him. So what is the big promise? My friends, when you are tempted today, you already have been. You'll be tempted again. What is the big promise? You have a way out. You have a way out. Are you under attack from the enemy? 
Never give up. Do you feel like quitting? Never give up. Are you fighting for your marriage? Never give up. Are you trying to be strong in the face of temptation? Never give up. Are you discouraged about your children or grandchildren? Never give up. Are you facing criticism for doing what you know is right? Never give up. Are you tired of the struggle? Never give up. Are you tempted to quit? Have you already fallen? Pick up your armor. Get back in the battle. When the day is done, you will be standing on the victory side. Let nothing turn you aside. Fear not and fight on. Stand and fight, child of God. The Lord is on your side. Lo, his doom is sure. One little word will fail him. Father, we are thankful for that. I pray today for those who are struggling, which I suppose really is all of us. I pray today for those who feel tempted, which again is all of us. Lord, help us to wake up. Help us to be alert. Help us to take seriously the spiritual battle we are in. Help us to get on the right side. Help us to hang together. Help us to hide the Word of God within. Make us strong, Lord, and unashamed. Help us to join with you by faith so we may fight and win. And when the day is over, we may still be standing by your grace and by your strength. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. This podcast is made possible through the support of listeners like you. Come see us on the internet at www.keepbelieving.com. We'd love to hear from you this week. Join us for the next podcast from Keep Believing Ministries.